On November 9th, 2018, 11 days before my 40th birthday, I started a Facebook blog page called Zero Shame 40s. It was an homage to my shame-focused therapy, and for some reason, people liked it, and now there's a podcast. The page is all about me, Lacey J, but the podcast is all about you. My friends and family have agreed to chat with me about their unique lives. Everyone has something to say if you're willing to listen. These are Zero Shame Stories. Hey there, ZSFers. Welcome back. I hope everybody had a nice 4th of July weekend and loved our lost preview. I'm Lacey, of course, and who else is here? Ben. Yeah. Yeah, it's me. So sorry, fans. If I don't sound super enthused, I've been having a hell of a week with a headache. Normally, we record these little intro chats on Friday nights, no matter how many times I try to pretend like we recorded on Sundays. <laughs> but today, it's actually Saturday morning. I had to cancel all of our lost episode recordings today and um, didn't record this last night. I, you know, it's been a pretty grim headache for you. I think that... Um, I think I was really irresponsible, and despite all of the... Advice to stay really hydrated during our 110 degree weather. I didn't. And then the following weekend, drank all weekend because it was 4th of July. And um, I've been pretty rough this week. So, anyways, if I don't sound like my enthusiastic self, that's why. Um, <laughs> so, what are we talking about today, Ben? Oh, the me feeling like mm, shit. Beats the hell out of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> during this week when I barely wanted to move, <clears throat> we started watching a really good TV show, didn't we? Um, yeah. I well, mean, you I, started rewatching. I it. I started rewatching it, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if you guys like sci-fi. You should check out The Expanse. Uh, Ben's seen most of it except for some of the newest episodes, but I think what happened is we tried to start watching it together once and I fell asleep during the first couple of episodes, which is completely normal for me to just fall asleep. And I did like seven in a row while she was asleep. Yeah. And then you were like, oh, this is awesome. And yeah. you binged it. And then you were so far into the show when I tried to catch up and watch it with you. Yeah. It didn't make sense. And I was like, well, this show sucks. But <laughs> we started rewatching it and like, it's really good. Yeah. It's a really cool show. Yeah. It's, it's like so realistic. It's not like other space shows where, you know, like Star Trek is like you just kind of zip around the galaxy walking around. Yeah. But also like the interior of the ship is so polished and you're, you know, they've got uh, like, what is it? I want to say illusion, but that's not the right word. <laughs> Um, holodeck? Yeah, the holodeck. Yeah. The illusion deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the holodeck where, you you know, you can feel like you're on Earth or whatever. I mean, all this you can stuff, see the but... plaque on the holodeck where it says, use your illusions. And then you go up to the, <laughs> the second the second uh, level and it says, use your illusions too. <laughs> all right. Well, people our age into yeah. uh, metal will understand that. Or... That's not metal. Not <laughs> You're right. It's metal to somebody like me, not to some of our friends who yeah, like, that's... listen to real metal. <laughs> Uh, it's what they called metal when we were younger. Uh, uh, I disagree still, but oh, that's okay. Fine. 
Guns N' Roses. They <laughs> big, were, they big were hair rock. Is that the, better? I think they started off a little more hair rock, but like yeah. by the time they got to there, it's just it's just kind of blues based hard rock. That's oh, it. Well, excuse me, I don't know anything. I completely forgot what we were talking about. I guess all hard rock is blues based. Actually, oh my that's, God, we we're talking about the. You're expanse. trying to give me a headache again. <laughs> So the reason why I think The Expanse is oh, a really right. is a really Expanse. cool show is like one it takes place not too far in the future and at this point like mankind has um, colonized like the moon and Mars and the asteroid belt. Yeah, it's and just actually like it it actually feels kind of realistic about what would happen yeah. if if and when humanity yeah. branches off onto other rocks um, if we don't all die before that happens. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, anyways, it's just it's it's surprisingly realistic and reinforces my um fear of going into space. <laughs> I feel like I couldn't do it. I I have too many I would have too many panic attacks. I yeah. realized that I was like trapped in a ship and if I went outside I would die and then I would just lose yeah. my fucking mind. I mean, I still say like some of the, you know, all and I think all all shows or movies do this um, where they have a gentler version of what space is. And I still think they do this sometimes in here, like the idea of like um, what, what explosive decompression would actually do compared to what it does in shows. Um, So I think they still kind of have that sort of gentle physics there, but for the most part, but for the most part, yeah, yeah. it just, it seems really realistic. And I, and, and so it's really interesting. It's a fun show. But that's what I've been occupying myself with this week instead of like doing anything else except i did do one thing um even through all of the pain because i had to help someone this week and this is wild you guys so my second marriage i was a stepmom to two girls who at the time were tween and teen age and i do not have contact with their father anymore uh that's a necessity for my life to remain <clears throat> not toxic. Um, <laughs> but I do have a connection with both of the girls and uh, they are now um, both in their 20s, both married, although one just this past May, her wedding was COVID delayed by a year. But the other, um, she and her husband just moved to right outside of Vancouver. He graduated from animation school and now has a job at an animator there working on. Um, I think I'm going to say this wrong, but I think it might be like some kids show for the Disney Channel. I can't recall. Not that it makes any difference. But it's funny. I just a, a friend of mine just got a got a gig and I think it was with Disney or Discovery Channel doing yeah. uh, voiceover work for an Australian show. Oh, and how cool. He lives Man, in he lives in Austin. He lives in got... Austin and he's not Australian at all. But he can you know he can yeah, do he, the Australian you're accent. You're pretty good at your Australian accent. Yeah. I know you use it a lot when uh when we're recording loss. So. <laughs> um No. So but the thing is, so they just moved to right outside of um BC moved here or right outside of Vancouver, excuse me, in BC, British Columbia. They moved here just in time for our insane heat wave. <laughs> but um, so what happened was they, the husband and wife, they have five kids, the oldest of which is uh, my former stepdaughter's stepdaughter. And so she's going to be spending uh, summers and holidays and things like that with them and, you know, the rest of like school time with her mom in Ohio. So they drove, obviously, um, to Canada when they were moving, and they had 
gotten, you know, this girl is 11, so they were getting her um, passport in order and did, like, a rush on it and stuff. Well, it didn't show up by the time uh, she was supposed to fly home, which was yesterday. And so you can get across the border with birth certificate, but you can't get on a plane. You have to have your passport. So they had to somehow get from Vancouver to Seattle um, or to SeaTac, which is our airport, to pick up their connecting flight and just ignore the first flight. So I got in the car and I drove to Canada and picked them up at the border and then drove them back uh, to the airport in Seattle. And this was the first time I had seen her since her wedding like 10 years ago. And it was wild and amazing. And now she's like this grown up and a mom and we had a couple hours in the car to chat and catch up, and uh, it was really fucking awesome. And I can't wait until the border is, like, permanently opened. Um, she and her husband could cross the border and come back because they're vaccinated, but all of their children, who are too young to be vaccinated, um, would have to quarantine for them to come down here to visit us and go back. So we have to wait until that situation is resolved and then they can come here and I'm just so psyched. I know I might sound like I'm not because my head hurts a little, but I really am excited. It was really amazing to see her as like a grown up too. Yeah. Um and like this mom of fucking five kids. So it's a lot. I know. It's, it's really like a lot. Th three dogs, I feel like sometimes like Jesus, I can't, I, this like, is so much. can't imagine much. like more than that yeah. and humans. Yeah, well, and then, you know, the the oldest, the, it's like the, the daughter is her stepdaughter, but she has given birth to four yeah. boys. And so, and I, I believe the boys are aged between right now, like two and 10, I think. Yeah. And so it's like, that sounds like a lot. Um, yeah. The second they get a social <laughs> security number, it really, really like raises the stakes. <laughs> what? All right. <laughs> um. Oh, I know. There was one other thing that you said you might want to talk about, you're kind of concerned about. We've been reading some articles lately about these fucking QAnon whack jobs who think that Democrats are kidnapping, murdering, and drinking the blood of babies. And I mean, just insane shit coming out We should out of use this. the word cabal now because I think cabal. Well, that's what they say. That's, that's, that's what they the call it is the cabal. Yeah. Well, so what's super concerning right now is People are noticing that this QAnon movement, they're they're organizing and they are running for offices. political offices. Oh, yeah. Now, not just the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert lunatics, but what's even more dangerous, because they can be contained in Congress, but what's more dangerous is that they're now out there running for things, local positions, small school local positions, stuff. school boards. Yeah. And, yeah, and so that's how a fascist party and takes hold. And, and they're rebranding. Yeah. A lot of them aren't using the QAnon they don't, Because thing they anymore. know it's toxic. Because they know it's toxic, yeah. yeah. So. so they're hiding that. The um, shit pile by any other name. Oh, man. And, I mean, this is, this is some dangerous stuff because if they get control of local politics, I mean, this is how the Taliban keeps power, is that they they move into little areas and, and take over local politics until they have power in that region and then it's theirs. Um, that's a timely thing too. Since yeah, we yeah. left Afghanistan, it's that remains to and be seen how much of a disaster this is going to be. Another but, cold cup of coffee to drink from. I know it's tough. It's like I understand. I understand what Biden's point. He's like, when we went in, we said we had two objectives. We completed those objectives 
a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, when did we kill Bin Laden? I mean, that's... It was a while yeah, ago. Yeah, and so he has a point, um, but the Middle East is a quagmire, and what doesn't matter what we do, if we stay or go, um, things are going to... They're they're not going to be great, and it looks like already. I mean, the Taliban has taken over parts of that country. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're shutting saying, down girls' schools, and they're you know, I mean, it's pretty bad. The experts that I the experts I've talked to, the experts I've been reading are saying like within six months, Kabul will fall yeah. to the Taliban, and it'll be essentially all of the the progress that'll be wiped out, like women's rights and all that type of stuff yeah, that has well, been sort of eked out over the last two decades will just go bye bye. Yeah, and you know what's fucked up. Is like, I don't know whose decision this was. Uh, clearly, the buck stops with Biden. He's the president. But it appears as though uh, the military pulled out of Bagram Air Base in the middle of the night and they shut the power off. And the Afghanis, like the military, can't get the power back on. And so, like, they can't use the base that we supposedly left them and i don't know whose decision that was but that sounds like a really bad move you yeah, probably I'm, probably got some consultants from texas <sighs> on their energy grid <laughs> yeah um so yeah the middle east i just i mean you know let's cross our fingers it doesn't end in more terrorist attacks here which is a possibility or there or well of everywhere. course there yeah. i mean they're all in danger i, I yeah. feel like that was a given um i hope you know I hope the worst doesn't happen, but anyway, th th that was a sort of a tangent because um, we, what we see the QAnon movement doing here is the kind of stuff that the Taliban does, which yeah. is taking over local governments and, and consolidating the power. Yeah. And once you do that, I mean, you can you infiltrate in, in a you know supposed democratic system, sure. yeah. and then once you have the power, you shut it down, which is what yeah. a lot of the fascists yeah, here are trying of, to do. It's all the fascist playbook. It's always yeah. like you look through history, it's always the exact same mm -hmm. set of dominoes yeah yep right? they, yep yep and they're doing it here now and it's the the thing that's craziest about that i feel like though is you know if you want to look at some of the other fascists and obviously the taliban aren't i mean they're religious extremists they're just they use that playbook but if you want to look at how the nazis you know consolidated yeah. power that's exactly how they did it and the thing that's wild that really blows my mind is you know i mean the nazis they were an ideology that I find false and and horrific, white supremacy and and you know yeah. Aryans and that kind of thing. But it at least makes sense. <laughs> Say what you will about the tenets of socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. <laughs> okay, so that's two things from the '90s you've tossed in there now. <laughs> oh. Well, Guns and Roses maybe more '80s, but anyway, was '90s. So, is it okay? Yeah. I don't know. Um. Oh, so use your illusion. Was. Use your but illusion. Was was yeah, really yeah. I remember is, you yeah. could be mine was on the Terminator two soundtrack. Yeah, so it right. was like early nineties. Right. So yeah. yeah, but the point that I'm trying to make is the thing that's so frightening about the QAnon people that are using this sort of fascist Nazi kind of playbook to gain power is they're doing all of this in and it's like a fantasy. Like that they're it's a con they're it's a conspiracy. It's not real. Like these people are taking steps and being active in politics on a fantasy, a delusion. And like, how do you, how do you stop that? I don't, I'm, I'm at a loss. At the polls, at hopefully, loss, so long as it's not, that's not been completely 
pilfered yeah. by the by the concern they're not conservatives anymore i, I, I don't like to say that the no. um by no. the by the republican by the right the radical fucking regressives. nut job yeah regressives That's exactly reactionary regressive. regressives yeah absolutely cunts yeah. is another word that i like <laughs> yeah cunts yeah i mean it's it's really it, it is really frightening um to think that these people are motivated by a complete and utter delusion yeah. and that, and that's terrifying. So is there anything good going on in the world right now? I mean, I, you know, I saw my, you, you, saw, saw, you saw your stepdaughter. Stepdaughter. Yeah. That was good. That, that was good. It was really great actually. Um, well, yeah, I mean, and she and I, she's got five young kids yeah. and, and we talked a little bit about that too, about how it's like, it's tough, it's terrifying, it's tough to look around at the, at the world right now. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do sound morbid, but part of it is because I just don't really feel awesome. Here's something awesome. Way back at the beginning of this podcast, when I was still fool- foolishly calling it ZSF the podcast instead of Zero Shame Stories, I promised everybody I was going to bring you a couple really awesome musicians. They were supposed to be, I think, episode two. <laughs> yeah. We were still learning a lot then. I was fucking things up. And... um so they're here today. <laughs> they re-recorded with us, and and I've got the podcast uh, today, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, they are our friends Tom Shear and Mary Catman. Tom Shear has been performing industrial music as Assemblage 23 for a couple decades, mm-hmm. and he and Mary collaborating together, and they are Helix. It's cool stuff, too. Yeah, it's great music, and you guys are going to get a taste, uh, other than our little theme music that you've already sat through today. It makes all my compositions feel so quaint. No. (laughs) So, uh, during the the breaks in in the pod today, you will get music from Helix, so you can hear some of their music while we talk about life as a musician in and out of the pandemic. And, um, yeah, that's a good thing. (laughs) I don't think we have any more anymore this morning, evening, whatever fucking day it is. I don't know anymore. <laughs> we could just jump right into Tom and Mary. How do you feel about that, Benjamin? I feel. Just, you feel. I feel. Okay. I'm I, feel glad. I feel your dog. <laughs> no, not your dog. <laughs> All right, everybody. Please enjoy these wonderful people, Tom Shear and Mary Catman. Y'all take care. Welcome, everybody. We are here today with Tom Shear and Mary Catman. And I know I promised you them weeks ago and then completely uh, realized that I fucked up their recording. And so they are gracious enough to be back with, well, you for the first time, back with me again. (laughs) So thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. All right, so um, as we have started every podcast, because it's all my friends and family that have been willing to do this, we're just going to talk a little bit about how we know each other. Um, Mary, you and I actually don't know each other IRL, as they say on the interwebs. Um, (laughs) This is the (laughs) second time we've met 
face to face virtually. Um, but mostly we've been internet friends because I noticed uh, my friend Tom uh, fallen in love with a lady and I friended her. So essentially that's our relationship. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's, about, that's about it. I like pictures of your, your daughter uh, when I'm not banned from Facebook. And uh, that's, that's the whole deal. Um, but Tom, you and I met because my husband, Ben, was playing music with uh, a gal named Jess, and she was a friend of yours, and she invited me to a, um, like a, a potluck, like a cooking, well, you tell, what were you up to in those days? <laughs> uh, we throw some parties uh, in the summer, and they were usually kind of themed potlucks, and uh, yeah. everybody would, would bring a dish that... Uh, met the theme and we, we'd all eat a lot of good food and uh, have some drinks and have a good time. Uh, yeah. That's how I met you and Ben. Yeah. And, and it was funny because, um, you know, there were lots of musicians there. I mean, it was, it's Seattle where we met and damn near everybody plays some form of music. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't realize who you were, that you are assemblage 23 and that you have this long, massive impressive music career and I was just like cooking food and bringing it to your house <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so that's how we met and let's talk a little bit about both of your careers up until the pandemic which of course is going to include a lot but um let's start with Tom so you make music as assemblage 23 you've been doing that for decades yeah yes yeah um so I don't let's give the listeners just like a quick background of the type of music you do. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's talk about that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I ever since I was a kid, I was really interested in um, synthesizers and electronic music. Uh, it was uh, this, this is going to date me a bit, but I remember <laughs> the week that Gary Newman's Cars single came out in the U.S., and I heard it on the radio, and I didn't know what it was that was making those weird sounds, but I knew that I wanted to be a, a part of whatever that was. And yeah. it wasn't until many years later that I you know, discovered what synthesizers were, but uh, I, I, I've been you know, recording and, and making music since I was in sixth grade. Um, and That's amazing, as I got, actually. As I, <laughs> as I got older, I just got interested in... Um, you know, different types of music. And I discovered this type of music called uh, industrial music, which is uh, kind of uh, dark uh, and aggressive uh, electronic music. Um, you know, at the time I was into a lot of kind of 80s synth pop electronic type stuff, but I was also into punk music and industrial kind of felt like a, uh, a marriage of the two. Uh, and it's the that punk, kind of st- punk of the electronic world, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. That makes sense. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's just how that's how I, I I got interested in it. Yeah, that's great. And so you you are Assemblage Twenty Three, but when you tour, which pre pandemic you were you went on tour all the time, uh, you do have musicians that play with you. I do. Yeah, it's okay. uh, just just me in the studio, but I've, I've got a, a drummer named uh, Mike Jenny and a keyboard player named Paul Seegers who uh, who perform live with me. So it's not just me on stage. <laughs> well, I mean, what's wrong with that? 
<laughs> I, I, I need you do you do DJ as well though, right? And so then that's just you on stage. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. So so Mary, um before you started making music with Tom, which we'll get to in a second, you uh also clearly industrial electronica and you've done a lot of work with other musicians. Yeah, I, I've actually been performing uh, since I was like 15. So um, both of you, look at you guys in, in yeah, like yep. middle school and high school. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I had a couple of friends in school and um, had a punk rock band. And I was like, you know what? Um, I was a chorus nerd and uh, and I still am a chorus nerd. I love vocal harmonies and a, a lot of my stuff, uh, if you listen to it, you'll notice I, I, I implement a lot of uh, vocal harmonies within that. So a lot pulling from my childhood and, and um, being in chorus uh, most of the years of my life. And um, yeah, so I, I was in a punk rock band um, when I was 15. Um, so I played all the crappy church basements and whatever, uh, <laughs> you know, and I did the whole like, um, you know, uh, you know, worked my way up as a female musician, which was at that time, um, way back then, it, it was like a very different uh, way. Now I see more females coming up. So uh, it's nice. But when I was a kid, I, I mean, I was usually the only woman ever <laughs> in any wow. of those situations. Yeah. yeah so, um, uh, but yeah, uh, actually, what happened was uh, I, I was working with a, a band um, after my high school band, I would formed another one. And it was a bit of a goth rock band. But the band fell apart, and um, and I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to keep having to rely on other people uh, to, you know, record me, uh, make music for me to the to the degree that it was. So I was like, at least if I can do something, the first thing I learned to do was record myself. Um, so I learned how to do that because for a long time I kind of felt disabled for some reason. I don't know if it's like a common. And it's actually funny because I talked to a lot of females uh, who are in the music scene, and they talk about how because it's very male dominated, they sometimes feel um, not empowered to take that onto themselves. Um, Yeah. So uh, it's like, it's weird. It's like um, women have to work like twice as hard to kind of get, you know, that same kind of respect um, or like just even not even respect, but uh, no, like to be uh, acknowledged by their peers. Sure. Sure. I think unfortunately that's universal in a lot of professions that yeah. women, yeah, you're just going to have to work harder because uh, everything has been, like, structurally, it's all set up for men. And so they have it easier. They have that privilege. You know, it's like you can you can put that dynamic into, into different types of arrangements. But I think, yeah, I understand that. And, and that yeah. sucks. And then it also says a lot it about sucks. you, how you how you've been able to break through. <laughs> All of it that. Su- <laughs> yeah, it sucks because every, I, I feel like there's more of like uh, feeling like um, everyone wants to label you a certain way because they feel like they understand like or they're like, oh, you know, you're a woman and whatever. I could talk about that yeah. all day. But I, so I learned <laughs> I learned to record myself um, because I was like, you know, I'm not going to keep relying on people um, and, and their time. And a lot of people were doing different things. And I was at that time in my life where. Uh, some people are off to college. Some people are doing other things. So it, it, it was really hard to find people who were uh, as dedicated as I was and wanted mm-hmm. to stick with it. So when I learned to record myself, I started um, reaching out to people. Um, uh, once I got a, a good base of um, experience and recordings, I started reaching out to people. And Tom was one of those people. Um, and I felt that um, 
I wanted to see if I could collaborate with anybody because I felt like the vocals were very, uh, they were, they were there. They were good. Uh, and I felt like I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I, I think I was about 20 something years old, maybe 22. And I was like, if you don't believe in yourself, girl, now, cause I've been doing this since I was 15 <laughs> at that time. I was like, you're never going to get any, you're not going to be better than you are. You know, you're going to believe in you. So I, so I yeah. did that. So I started reaching out to people um, and I started getting people uh, writing back to me uh, and wanted to uh, collaborate with me. And, and, and um, I had um, a friend of mine, Zeit Factor from Germany, and then I had Estetisch, um, and then I had Saevia. Um, and they all kind of came into my world a little bit and they, they, they were like, hey, like, let's try. So I started collaborating with people actually not in this country, I, mm-hmm. outside of this country. And I found that there was like a, a fitting uh, place for, you know, there's a lot of room for females in, 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 in sort of uh, electronic and trance type of music or mm-hmm. stuff in that. So I felt like there was a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity there um, in electronic music. Well, and the industrial scene is, is bigger in Europe than it is here in the United States. Absolutely. Right? I mean, yeah. and, and a lot in Germany as well. I know, Tom, you go to Germany or you did go to Germany yeah, yeah. often. <laughs> okay. So um, tell me then how, how, how was it you, you reached out to Tom and yep. you guys formed Helix, which for the listeners, uh, Tom has supplied Ben with uh, some samples of Helix. And so all of the music that we're going to listen to and all of the breaks during the podcast today are going to be clips of your compilation, which is Helix. So... (laughs) That's Helix right there. That's it. That's that's (laughs) a new single. It's a new single. It's a little rough. Oh, fuck. We're going to have to leave that in now. (laughs) We live right across the street from a hospital, so... God, that was amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guarantee you Ben will make it some kind of dad joke about how your music is on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, right. if we're lucky, we'll get some homeless people screaming too, so. Oh, good, yeah. So, all right, so let's talk about, so Helix formed, but it's not just the music. You formed a union. You guys are, like, full-on in love and engaged, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> We've known each other for a long time, Tom and I. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, we, we we didn't form Helix right away, actually. Helix was very, very far into, halfway, probably halfway through the time we've known each other, Helix formed. Okay. So but, let's um, talk about the beginning, then. What, what, what were you guys doing before you decided to become a unit in more than one way? <laughs> Well, I, I think um, the, the first thing that came up was um, a, f- a friend of ours had asked me to do a, a guest vocal on for uh, his band, which was mostly kind of um, instrumental stuff. And um, it was Ivar and Spear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, uh, great guy named Scott. They're from Canada. Uh, very um, like percussion oriented uh, band. Okay. Um, and he had asked me to do a guest vocal and I did it and I was listening to it and I was like, it sounds okay, but it needs something else during the choruses. And I think what it needs is it needs like a harmony in there about an octave higher to make it sound nice and and thick. And, uh, my range was, would not (laughs) permit me to do that to myself. And I thought, Hey, I know a really good female singer. Let me reach out to Mary and see if she'd be interested. 
And um, I, I, I did so, <laughs> and she almost immediately got something back to me, which is, um, you know, I, I mean, you're married to a, a musician, so this might not be as shocking to you as to your listeners, but musicians can sometimes be a little bit flaky and unreliable. <laughs> Uh, so I was amazed that she had been, got back to me so quickly and, uh, everything that she did was, it was like, just like I had imagined it was, I hadn't, didn't even have to tell her anything. And Oh, well, that so that's a good sign more, <laughs> for collaboration. Well, well yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, that, that led to more, uh, you know, I reached out to her on more occasions where I needed some, you know, female vocals would, would work really well. And uh, we just had a really good working relationship. And, um, you know, the, the more I, I got to know her, the, the more I fell in love with her. And um, eventually it got to the point where I think we've done like four or five different kind of collaborations for other people's projects. And I thought, why are we not doing our own thing? Why is it just this yeah. happening when... Wait a uh, second. We're both musicians. <laughs> we right, can right. do this together, just us. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So I, I, I think I had a song, like a basic demo of a song ready that just needed vocals, and I said, "Let's give this a try." And I sent it to her, and she nailed it on the first try. And um, the the rest is history, as they say. All right. So, how long was Helix around and writing music and performing before? COVID hit. Uh, um, the album came, last album came out in, was it 2014? Okay. What? So, it was 17. It was 17? It was, at, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> not that yeah, long. Okay. I hope not. Cause like, literally, we're writing music right now and I'm like, we got to get <laughs> something out. It's been yeah, like yeah. three years. No, okay. yeah, you're right. You're right. That did seem <laughs> okay. awfully long. Uh, okay. yeah, 20, 2017. Uh, so 2017. Okay. We've, we've only really done, uh, you know, a handful of shows. Uh, I think we, we did, did about six shows, six shows. Yeah, yeah about half a dozen. Uh, okay. One of which was days after I moved out to the East Coast. We played a, a festival in Boston called Convergence. It was uh, nice. Yeah. So, did, yeah, so that's the, right. You left us. You left us here in Seattle and you moved. I, well, really, you kind of moved home. You and I are both from the Northeast. But. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, you left us. So you're over there, uh, back in, well, you're in Rhode Island, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. So now you guys, you're living together, you're in love, you're raising one of the cutest little girls I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you. And, and you're like, this is great. Now we're Helix, shit's taken off. And then the pandemic. Yeah. So let's talk about what the pandemic has done done to what i mean from the musician's point of view an already struggling industry since things have gone digital and we download and there you know are i mean the the music industry was already in sort of an upheaval definitely a time of change yeah so talk about what has the pandemic um what has it done to 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 change that year for you? How did you adjust? How did you say, okay, we're still musicians and, and this is, you know, this is what we want to do is perform and things like that. How did you make that work during the pandemic? Mm. Uh, well, for, for Mary, <laughs> like, Mary, mm. I, 
<laughs> I know, he didn't. didn't. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, we did, uh, we had an opportunity. There's a, a Canadian festival called um, Terminus that both Mary and I have performed at independently, but not together. Uh, and uh, they, very early on, they were one of the first people to say, hey, let's see if we can do uh, an online show, like a streaming show uh, with people performing from their homes. And um, I'd seen some of these performances and, uh, you know, I, I loved the spirit of it, but a lot of it just looked and sounded worse than, you know, people were trying to do lights and stuff like that. And it just, you know, A, a for effort, but, uh, you know, C, <laughs> Not C translating. For, yeah. it just didn't, didn't work well. And, and Mary had the brilliant idea of like, well, we shouldn't do that. We should do the opposite of that. We should just do something that's very intimate just from our home. And so we just sat on our bed and set up the, the camera and I had my keyboard controller and we did the show that way. And I'll, I'll let Mary talk a little bit about the actual experience because it's, it, it's, it was quite a, quite, quite different from playing to a room full of actual people. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, one thing when you're performing online to no audience, there's no applause at the end. At all. There's no interaction. Oh, yeah. So people are in their houses <laughs> cheering like, yes, this was awesome. And you're sitting in your bedroom. Okay, great. Yeah. That was, okay. <laughs> and also yeah. another thing. So that, that was really odd. There's no crowd interaction. There's nothing. And also um, with these streaming services, I, I think they're getting really good. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of times when we've watched streams, Tom and I, we notice that they'll glitch out or, or, or you won't be able to hear something or, but I don't think the person performing is, is aware of this. They can't be aware of it because yeah. it's, it's like on a, um, you know, it's on a level that they, they're, they're just doing their thing and they, they can't, they're not watching, they're not on looking, so they don't know. But, yeah. um, but yeah, so I didn't know if we were coming through, uh, if, uh, you know, people liked it. I mean, it was so weird. It was like <laughs> just playing to nobody. Yeah, yeah. Without the energy in the room, like it's got to be, I mean, you know, everybody's been to a concert, you know, you can feel the electricity and the excitement yeah. and things like that. And I imagine you must feel it tenfold coming back at you on a stage. Well, yeah, it's just really, it's an odd dynamic, but you know what was awesome about it? And I think um, we spoke about this the first time. There's two pros. One, vocals can actually be heard. Uh, and, and I find that a lot of times when you perform at different places, sometimes you have sound people that aren't really as committed. Sometimes you have mm -hmm. someone really great. Sometimes you don't. Um, and the vocals usually really suffer. That's usually the part. And I was really excited because for once as a vocalist, I really knew that what people were hearing was the actual authentic vocal that is coming through. So I don't use auto tune on my vocals. Um, I, I don't use anything. So what you hear, uh, you know, on the on the CD is what you're getting like uh, in a live performance, whether or not it's being delivered by the PA system properly. But this time it was like the vocals were clear. Um, so I felt that was a great representation of of the talent um, that that is being put, you know, into doing these types of things. Um, mm -hmm. And two, there was no loading gear. No driving home. <laughs> <Right. laughs> no, no, the no, beers no. were the beers were cheap. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no being accosted by the really drunk guy after the show. That's at every show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, yeah, you have one of those. Do you have like a drunk stalker guy that like comes to all your shows, or is that just oh, a different no, guy just, every I, time? <laughs> yeah, it's it's an archetype. There's yeah, there's gotcha. always the person who like doesn't go out like the weekend warrior who doesn't go out very much and then they overdo it and then they end up talking your ear off about some 
Oh, you and you're so nice. Today. You're so nice. You're such a nice so person, nice. Tom. I can I can just imagine how often you've gotten stuck in that situation. He does. Because you're he gets so stuck. nice. Right? Thank you. You're backing <laughs> me up. I can I can picture it. I can see it so clearly now. I can see it so The most memorable one for me was uh, we were playing a little um, city in uh, Russia called Rostock on Don, and um, the uh, this guy came up after the show who was just completely hammered, and he wanted me to autograph his tongue, and it's like I, okay, all right. And I autographed his tongue, and then he spent the next twenty minutes haranguing me that I he sign my tongue, sign my tongue. I was like, I just did. You were there for it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, wow, that's really amazing. I can't believe you actually did it. I mean, I can actually. I can't believe. I can't believe that you did it. You're too nice. You're too nice to be a rock star. You really need to start being more of a a dick. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, sure. All right. So so the performance part uh, during COVID, people have tried to do it. Clearly, you've got a couple pluses. But for the most part, you know, when you're a musician, you want to play for an audience, obviously. Yeah. So what what have been some of the other things that you've done through COVID? Um, are you are you making music? Were you putting anything out uh, like on Bandcamp? We talked about that before, which we definitely need to talk about again. How, it, or or has the music industry like have has it just been paused? Have you just been waiting? Like, can this end? How how, how has that been for you? It's you know it's been a mixed bag. I, I think in in some terms it's been good because it's brought brought or brought about uh, you know kind of ingenuity in people like you know. Regardless of the quality of the results, the streaming shows was was a great way to maintain some semblance of normalcy during a really abnormal um, time. Yeah, sure. But yeah. you know, the thing is, as you kind of alluded to in the beginning, the you know the main problem is that you know in the last fifteen to twenty years, the there's been a lot of upheaval in the, in the music industry, and the way that people change or uh, consume music has changed quite a bit. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, whereas when I started out in the late nineties, half my income was record sales and half my income was from live performance. And so there are dedicated fans who thankfully still buy music, but the majority of music consumers, uh, stream now. And before that they were, they were pirating music. So that, you know, imagine 50% of your income is, uh, is, is gone. So uh, now faced with the pandemic, these people who are now mostly dependent on live performance can't do that anymore. So it's like, well, now, now what do you do? And, um, you know, I, I recorded an album during the pandemic. Uh, That's one thing I I will say positively about the pandemic is that it's a great environment for creating because you can't do anything else. So yeah, uh, (laughs) no distractions. You can't leave the house. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've been doing things like I've been, I've been teaching, um, 
audio production classes over uh, Zoom and just doing some things to to adjust. But uh, Mary's been real busy too. I'm sure she'll yes, please fill you in on that. I've just I've been working. I, honestly, I've been collaborating. I have so many uh, jobs that I've finished that have yet to be released, and I, I'm not sure if um, the people I've worked with are holding off until they're able to, I, I feel like the pandemic's put like a financial crunch on some people. I don't know if some people are just holding the material for when they can tour or when they can, um, I don't know, do something with it. That's more, but, um, a lot of requests for collaborations I've been working on. A, um, and also another thing <laughs> during the pandemic, I think puts a lot of perspective on your, on the brevity of life. Um, because, you know, (laughs) my thought process is, you know, I never really wrote my own stuff, like in its entirety. But after this pandemic hit, I was like, you know what, I'm going to start doing this. Like I am going to start learning not only how to record vocals, but do my own music. So I have a song that's coming out soon, which I'm super excited about because it's my best song I've ever done. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really excited. But I've been working a lot on like, um, teaching myself, like, um, you know, how to compose how to, you know, um, you know, ask Tom, like, hey, like some production advice and stuff, because I want to really become more independent than I ever was. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic has given my brain like a lot of like, um, you know, free, not free space, because, you know, it's been, you know, you can always find some time if you're passionate, which I am. But I just feel like, I don't know, I just see a lot of changes in life. I see a lot of people not making it through this, you know, and it kind of puts you in a space where you're like, you know, life is short, like anything you are not doing right now that you've always wanted to do. I mean, start today, right? So, you know, yeah, well, it 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 sounds sounds like you, no, no, it doesn't sound morbid. It sounds inspiring, actually, that you took the time where this horrible thing is happening outside and you were like well fuck it i'm gonna sit in here and be better yeah i want to get better yeah yeah Yeah, for sure i know know i'm super biased but i i'm (laughs) really i'm so proud of of how far mary came just in a year's time i mean she went from i've never done this how does this work to now she's a pro like she's putting these songs out uh on, on on Bandcamp, and she's writing and composing and recording everything like uh it, it's, I, I feel like a lot of people just kind of piss their, their time away waiting for yeah. this pandemic to be over. But she really kind of grabbed the opportunity by the horns and um, has, I, I, I'm just really amazed by how far she's come in such a short time. Well, you know, it's the, it's the behavior of, of successful people. It's the kind of person who'd be a 15 year old girl and join a punk band, even if she was the only girl, it's yeah. clearly part of her personality. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's impressive. It's impressive to take a moment of strife and turn it into something positive. Yeah, yeah I yeah. So, are you super psyched to like w- once we're all vaccinated and going back out there? Are you are you gonna put out and play and perform your solely Mary music? Oh wow, that's really that's a nice question. I honestly <laughs> I don't even really considered it, but I honestly would love that. I think that'd be so awesome because I really love like the stuff I put out, and I and, and, and it's almost like a, it's a different sort of intimacy between me and the song because I know that like I put it together, which yeah. is like it's completely different feeling for me, and it it's like a little 
frightening because like I can't I blame yeah. I can't blame anybody if it, yeah. they say that it sucks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes, I hear you. Right. I mean, that's a lot scarier than going out and singing a song and being like, well, so-and-so wrote that. It's not my problem. I sounded great. (laughs) (laughs) My voice sounded good. (laughs) Yeah, I sounded a great job of your shitty song. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't see. I don't even know. Like, I think I would need like a live performer or something. I don't know. I'd probably need somebody to back me up. But or maybe I could do it on my own. I don't know. Uh, I did just do a video recently, um, which was pretty awesome. Uh, and I worked with uh, just uh, 401 Films, which is a, a little uh, group of uh, three guys in, in Providence, uh, headed by uh, a guy named Mark Allison. And uh, and and he was really re- nice, and and everybody there was really professional. And it was like he asked me because he like he found like randomly found my song on. He was just looking on Bandcamp for like local artists to Providence. Oh, wow! And I was like, oh my gosh! Like I'm still in that kind of awestruck position where if somebody likes like one of my stuff I'm always like oh wow <laughs> I can't really like <laughs> it just feels really nice <laughs> of course it does oh that's great I know yeah. and I, I feel like you're going to get over this this fear and you're going to perform that solely Mary music at some point and I mean, you're right now I'm watching you nearly jump out of your skin. So I can imagine like, while while that's happening, it's going to come across. The audience is going to feel that, too. So I'm sure that'll yeah. be exciting. Yeah. Well, All right. So we've touched on we've mentioned the words band camp a couple of times here. Um, let's talk about that. And let's talk about what band camp is doing for artists to help mitigate this issue of the streaming uh, salary going down the drain, essentially. So let, let tell us about that. Bandcamp has been uh, great for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the, the biggest reason is it's really democratized the process of putting an album out. So, uh, you know, the traditional uh, model of the music industry was you had labels that were acting sort of as gatekeepers and they would evaluate demos and decide who makes the cut and who doesn't, what gets put out, what doesn't. Uh, so, you know, in the old days, you were reliant on a record label to uh, release material that you could actually get out to people and, and you know, beyond just your immediate circle of friends and grandma and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and Bandcamp removed that barrier uh, and and made it possible for uh, anybody who wanted to to, uh, to put uh, their album online. And... Uh, Traditionally, uh, Bandcamp takes a portion of the revenue. It's small, definitely small compared to the way the rest of the music industry works, where usually mm-hmm. you, you're getting the small portion as the artist. Right. <laughs> uh, but they did something great during the pandemic, which was uh, this uh, thing they called Bandcamp Fridays, where the first Friday of every month, they waive their fees. So any sales that happen during that time, everything goes directly to the artist. And uh, I, I'm sure that's been a, a lifesaver for, for a lot of bands. You know, it, it at least gives them the opportunity. It's like, well, we can't tour, but I, we can put something out and maybe mm-hmm. the fans will uh, be extra supportive, uh, you know, in, in, in understanding what's going on. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from my own experience, from Mary's experience, from ex- the experience of music friends of, of ours, uh, people really fans really have gone out of their way to be supportive. Like they understand what, um, you know, what this is, is, uh, like for the, the artists. So, mm-hmm. 
I know Mary does a lot more band camp stuff than I does, so she, she probably has some yeah, thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly, I always put my, um, my, my, like I've done like two little EP type things um, mm-hmm. since the pandemic. Um, and then the one coming up will be a th- the third one that I've done. And I always put my price at like w- like a dollar eighty eight or something, like just something eight. Like I don't know, I have like a special connection with the eight <laughs> numbers. I'm always like a dollar eighty eight, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna put the energy out there. But yeah, I just do it. And, and honestly, um, it, it's always open for people to you know give more than just the dollar eighty eight. And most people do. Okay. Like and um and I'm always really like shocked. Like some people give me like twenty dollars, um you know just for two songs. It's it's crazy. Like uh people are really supportive uh on that on that site, and I it kind of blows me away a little bit uh, to. Uh, to just see the kindness. Like some people, another cool thing about being campus, people can write you something after they buy your stuff. So like, you know, I get a lot of like, Hey, I'm a really big fan, blah, blah, blah. It's just nice. Like anytime anyone writes something, um, I, I just love that platform a lot. Honestly, I'm not sure what's after Bandcamp or what's next. I'm always I'm mm-hmm. always wondering how the the music scene is going to be innovative next. Like I think Bandcamp was a big leap forward, but I know a lot of people are getting into licensing now and licensing is like the new thing to make money because there's really not a whole lot of money to be made too much in the music scene now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like we were talking about how like no like I don't I don't know if anyone's going to know what I'm talking about, but uh when like, when you play a show at a venue, um you know Tom and I were talking about how now um, you used to be able to just play, but now like Mm -hmm. you have tax forms, you got to fill out. It's just like a whole new, like you don't get, yeah, you don't really get that same and, 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 and self-employed people really get dragged through the, the ringer when it comes to tax time. Like it's bad news. Like it's really, and I, and I, sometimes it makes me a little angry because uh, my parents were always self-employed people. And uh, I always feel like they say, you know, that America is like the land of opportunity or whatever, and you should be able to start your own thing. But I really feel like they kind of screw you uh, when you're like a self-employed person. <laughs> like you have to just do yeah. so many exemptions uh, on your taxes to get anything back. And then once you claim exemptions, you're more likely to be flagged by the IRS. And it's just, I, I I have a lot of feelings about self-employed musicians and how uh, like dire their situation is because it's not like you really can make a lot out of yourself. It's like mm-hmm. you have to, it's really, I really feel like our country favors the uh, corporations, <laughs> obviously, more than it favors like the mom and pop, you know what I mean? Or the guy trying to make it on his own as a gig worker or something like that. So I, I really fear for the music industry uh, 100%. I don't mean to be negative or anything, but, you know. Uh, oh, you're not being negative. You're being honest. Like, real. Let, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's explore that a little bit more, the, the sort of the the myth of the rich musician right i mean the right, it's a myth. you can't see this but tom is cracking up right now <laughs> um, so you, you know what what the basic person knows they they look and they see a superstar and it's like oh well clearly if you're playing music you are living the high life but let's talk about that like most musicians they're that's uh, that's not true 
you guys are struggling. Yeah, yeah. Because I think what it is, is, um, you know, there are certain people that have business people who are invested in and can give them that humongous publicity start right off mm-hmm. the bat and consistent, consistent. Because we all know that uh, fame is built off of someone seeing that image over and over again, or that person over and over. And then it st- starts to stick for people, right? But there's mm-hmm. not a lot of people with a budget to market themselves like that. You know what I mean? And there's, right. it's also very much who you know, and all that stuff. Um, so for the little guy, we are in a tide pool of all these different musicians all fighting for the same person's attention span. And, and, and even though that's a wonderful thing, because now the internet makes it easier to be heard, there's a lot of other people that are making music just as good um, who would like to have one minute of your time. And it's just a lot. So people get om- almost uh, just numb or maybe they just don't want to be open to it. Or the internet is constantly trying to get you to click on something or listen to something. And I honestly feel like there's no, uh, there's no, um, there's no novelty to that, to, to find it. It's not, a, there's no novelty. Like, remember when you used to have to go to the record store and you'd wait in line, you want to get that CD on that day, it's coming out and everybody was hyped and, and you couldn't yeah. get it unless you went to the store and you stood in line. Right. But that's not how it works anymore. Like you can get stuff, you can st- like stream stuff, you can download stuff, you can pirate stuff. It's not, it's just not. I feel like people want things more where they have to put a little effort in or they value things more when they know they have to pay for it. Um, There's something to that. Yeah, I can agree with that. I I feel like like one of the worst things that could have happened for uh, like independent musicians was uh, MTV's Cribs. I don't know if you remember that show, but (laughs) it was a show where they would have these, whoever was the famous pop star at the moment, and they would tour their their home and show all of the luxury that these people were living in. And the show should have come with a disclaimer that most of these homes actually belong to the record company. They don't belong to the person uh, who is the (laughs) the pop star of the week. And guess what what? happens to that home? Wait, what? What? Yeah, they do like it. Yeah, uh, they get yeah, a, lot, a lot of those. Fuck. Yeah. And and guess what happens when you're no they longer the pop star of the week? Yeah, that becomes you, somebody you else. Wow. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's, it, people think there's a lot more money in it because the, the people who are super successful, yeah, they're making money hand over fist. They're making tons of money. But that's not the case for it. it, it it's like, you know, comparing Michael Jordan or uh, I'm dating myself with that reference, but I, I don't call <laughs> sports. But Michael Jordan to, to some like kid playing elementary school sure. basketball, it's like that they're not on, they're not operating on the same level. And, and the truth is, most musicians are uh, struggling just as much. And honestly, if you break down the amount of time that goes into creating an album, like from the writing to the recording to the production to the mastering to the marketing, most of those musicians are making less than minimum wage. Uh, sure, you know, yeah. if you really break down the hours that go into it. So, well, and let's uh, talk about that. Let's talk about the hours that go into it because I think another thing that can surround not just the music industry but any art is that there's this kind of weird, pervasive idea that if you're doing something artistic, that it's somehow just kind of easy, right? Or it's just coming to oh, you. My or it's just- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my! I wrote something about this recently. <laughs> I don't know if you read it on my Facebook, but somebody was saying something about a friend of mine saying that I oh, did. musicians read are it. lazy, musicians <laughs> yeah. are slackers. 
And I feel like, oh my God, the amount of time that we put into doing and creating is insane. And honestly, a lot of times when you're sitting with a song, you might not even come up with, you might kind of throw something out there and you've just wasted two hours. You didn't really come up with anything. So what I'm saying is you don't make, you have to really be, you have to be really, really committed uh, to knowing that your life is not going to be on the same level as somebody who might take that full-time job or that really, really difficult uh, and very, uh, const- like, uh, almost like constraining type schedule uh, at, at, mm-hmm. at a nine to five job or something. Uh, you, you, you have to know that your life will be a life that is not, is a sacrificial life. Like you'll basically be putting all these things out and, and it's, you know, but you, you have to watch other people surpass you, get better houses than you get better cars than you. And you know, that like, uh, you know, maybe they don't feel this, you know, like, obviously, we, we want to make time for music, because it, it's part of who we are. It, it, it's, it's, it's like, it's the lifeblood of, of our existence is, is, you know, like going and, and uh, sitting down and making these pieces of art. But we also understand that, like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, because we have this passion that sort of needs its own time during the week, uh, sometimes we don't get, you know, to be in those positions that, you know, make the best money or whatever, because we, you know, we, we feel like we have, you know, we have to spend time doing what we love too. I feel like people, people do a lot of, um, you know, because it's a cool job, people yeah. don't really have a lot of sympathy for it. It's like, well, you know, get a crappy job like the rest of us. And I, I understand why people from the outside say that because that's how it, it, it appears to them. But unless you really see how the sausage is made, Yes. You, know, you, you, you would realize <laughs> that, that, yes, I, I love making music and, and it, it's so much fun, but it's just like any other job where there is stuff that you dread, especially yeah. the business side of stuff sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and there's, there's, there's a lot of crappy stuff that you, you have to deal with too. But, you know, the average person is like, oh, poor you, you know, you're, you get, to, yeah, well, you know, not only that, and-, and then not only poor you, but, uh, they're going to, you know, pour you and then put their earbuds in and relax listening to the music that somebody <laughs> well, fucking like- slaved over to to bring. Right. I mean, that's the thing about art is that people, you know, they want to poo poo it. But at the same time, they want to absorb it. You know, like if you right, like you want to you want people to make music. Well, then you should respect the profession as a job and not a hobby. Well, it's like another thing, too, is like it's a stressful situation when you don't know how much money you're going to make. Like it's like any other self-employment, you know, like a person who's working a nine to five knows that they can rely on that paycheck every week. But uh, not only is a, a musician somebody who has to deal with an unpredictable income, but they also have to deal with um scheduling their own work and life, which is hard. Like when you go to work nine to five, you leave your work at work when you're a musician or you're a self-employed person, you take your work home, you take your work everywhere. You sleep hearing, (laughs) you go to bed hearing that song you're working on and it keeps you up at night. Like it's not this life that people imagine it to be. It's very difficult life. So I, I can attest to, you know, Ben, uh, he does have that nine to five job, but also loves, you know, creating music. And I've seen him sometimes, where we're just kind of laying in bed or we're going to bed and he'll just stand up and be like, I got, I got to get this down. Yeah. It's like, there's something in his <laughs> head. Right. Yeah. I like <laughs> that. Some, 
there's something in his head where he's just like, I got to go kind of do this or he'll just play the guitar record or something. It's like, now I can sleep. I have <laughs> this thing is out of my, are you relate to that, Tom? Yes. And yeah, both oh, of you? Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 there's a, there's a meme and I, I'm screwing up the, you know, actual wording of it, but it, you know, it's like a woman looking in at a, at presumably her partner who's at a computer and she's thinking something like, Oh, you know, he's, he's looking for another girlfriend on there. And then you see the thought bubble above the musician's head. It's just like, this snare drum sounds like shit. And then, <laughs> I mean, that, this snare drum sounds like shit really kind of describes about half of my job. It's just like, <laughs> just this obsessively worrying about these little details that the average person probably doesn't really care about, but. Yeah, I've uh, seen that happen too. That's why I'm like super excited to hear Mary's new song that she loves because so often, like any artist, musician, like I'm going to put this shit out, but it's awful. I really hate it. You know, I got it as good yeah. as I can, but it's, you know, it is what it is. But to see something they'd be like really excited about, like I did a good job. You don't get that often from artists because you're all just so negative on yourself. <laughs> Just right. I mean, that's I find that with any with any art or any sort of creation, the creator is going to be the hardest critic. I mean, in my experience. Oh yeah, for sure. I I I always, you know, I mean, I mean, people on the internet. uh, This will come as a surprise to nobody, but people on the internet can be. uh, I believe the scientific term is dicks, and (laughs) uh, you know they'll 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 say really mean stuff about your about your music. You know, if they don't like it, and everybody feels that they they. They, everyone needs to know their opinion on this release. Oh, of but course. <laughs> the, the thing that those people fail to realize is, is like, you can't say anything that isn't, uh, I haven't said about myself or my own music, like 10 times worse. So please bring it. Like I like when people, like when I post, like if I post something like on a YouTube and I get like a thumbs down, I'm like, okay, like the girl who's struggling anyway, why don't you thumbs down my video? Or they have to like <laughs> write something underneath and they're like, Oh, I didn't really like your voice in this context. It's like, well, then just move on. Have, like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Dude. Always yeah. a dude. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, do you get do you get comments about your looks as well as a uh, woman? Well, I am sexualized as a woman for sure, yeah. and I yeah. think like uh, that is not good. People always say, "Well, since you're a woman, you can sexualize your image and then sell more stuff," but that's about that's a bunch of shit. That's not true um, because p- you are almost you're almost uh, looked at as though your image is a, is, is some sort of part of, it's not this. I don't care. I don't know. I can't explain it, but just when people sort of see you for what you look like um, and not see you for what your product is, uh, it's really just soul crushing, horrible. And when anyone makes that, that's a really good example of what Mary was talking about earlier too, about, you know, the, the, the music industry is an old boys club. Yeah. And that's why you have that double standard where it's like women are supposed to have the body of an athlete and be able to dance and look like a, a model at all times. And meanwhile, Ed Sheeran can be a giant star. <laughs> as a, well, it's true. And you have to sort of like, you have to affirm, like, I wrote this. Someone always say, yeah. oh, did, who did who helped you? You know, it's oh like, my God. wow. It's just like, that is kind of the reaction when you're a woman or, oh, she's just being sexy. She's not really talented or, 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 or just, I don't even know. Like, it's just a really odd 
dynamic that I wish did not exist. Cause I was, you know, like I say before, like I'm, I'm influenced a lot by, uh, early nineties females, like Tori, like, you know, eighties, nineties, Tori Amos, uh, Kate Kate Bush, (laughs) uh, uh, PJ Harvey, stuff like that. And in that Mm -hmm. time period, there was no internet. So you couldn't see what these women looked like. I think you'd, you'd get a magazine sometimes and, and you'd be able to see what, what, you know, or, or an album cover, you'd see their face. Mm-hmm. But I think that was so important. And I miss that time period. I wish that that was today because I feel like a lot of people, um, didn't look, it wasn't like, you know, crazy Instagram, uh, yeah. celebrities these days or musicians these days, uh, or auto tune stuff, uh, you know, before those kind of technologies. And that's another way the internet's kind of wrecked things in a way because, uh, or maybe just technology in general, because like, you know, you couldn't fake a voice when there was no autotune. Uh, and, and, and there wasn't the superficiality that's today with women. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't really there yet. Uh, it Mm -hmm. was still like, you know, you were still seeing like, you know, when Pat Benatar came out or like, you know, you didn't, you might see those women and go, Oh wow, they're really sexy. But I just don't feel like that same it was as bad as it is today. That's another area where I, where I feel like, um, I, I mean, you know, not to sound like, like the old man that I am, but where I, I feel like MTV really kind of fucked things up was that now the videos became kind of an expected portion of musicians um, promoting themselves. Suddenly it yeah. became important. Go back and like, look up fog hat or like, Boston or the J Giles <laughs> band, like bands in the seventies before MTV, all ugly motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, not a looker yeah. among any of them. And but if you look at after after that, everybody's got six packs and they've got a personal trainer and they have their skin and their hair is perfect. Like it really So like shifted. Maroon Five is what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they really, look right. <laughs> Yeah, it really shifted the um, the emphasis away from the music, uh, which is what it, it really should be yeah, about. That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Well, it does sound like Bandcamp might be somewhat of an equalizer in that, where you're just you know you can yeah. you can put your stuff out and you're yeah. it's not as doesn't have to be as promoted as a you know an Instagram or even an MTV kind of thing. It's, it, it's a double edged sword. Uh, Mary kind of alluded to this earlier, and and, and that, yes. It has democratized the ability to anybody who wants to can put an album up and sell it and sell it around the world, which is mm-hmm. awesome. But everybody's doing it. So yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, now you are this speck of sand in the middle of a desert of other, you know, struggling artists who are trying to uh, to get the same attention that you are. So, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, there are new difficulties that didn't exist in the label ecosystem that exists in this sort of brave new world of, um, you know, digital, uh, and, and, and self-releasing stuff. And, and also, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, quite frankly, uh, most musicians don't have a head for business and the business side of things. Cause why uh, would you, you're, a, you're an artist. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's and, a whole, that's a whole different, that's a whole different like section of your brain trying to do, business money management and then creating music or or any kind of yeah yeah absolutely
activity is very exhausting. I, I don't know if, you know, if you, if your husband feels this way, but creativity is exhausting. It's almost like sure. you're channeling something. Like when you're sitting there, you kind of almost go into this zone. I, I can't explain it, but it's no, just I've seen this, it happen. <laughs> it's really, really, it really is. It's, it's almost like you're taking in something and then you just feel like really burnt out. So then to take all that and then make a promo shot and then, you know, um, and, and figure out where to market it and all these things. And labels yeah. used to be a big thing, but now they're becoming less and less of a thing because people, uh, labels would take a cut. Uh, and now yeah. promotion can be done on the internet by you. Uh, like you can promote yourself. You don't need necessarily, if you're a small fry, yeah, I'm small fish, you don't need, you know, um, you know, this, you know, promote, you don't need, you know, you don't need someone yeah, to you don't need merch it, but for like, you or. Right. But you, like you're you saying, you it. need the, you need, you need the bandwidth to have the energy to do the promotion. Otherwise yeah, like- it ends up all for naught anyways, because who's going to hear you if you can't get it out there. Yeah. And I, I, I just recently worked with a label um, called fixed. Uh, it's a label um, that's by Clayton um, from cell dweller, his label. I don't know if you know cell dweller, but um, uh, he hit that label was so professional. It, it was amazing. They, they did such beautiful promotion. They really went out and tried to get the music, uh, the, the, the license, everything that was signed was very professional. Everything, all the, the payouts were really professional. And I felt like for the first time, like, I feel like that label uh, is, is the new wave for labels that I really feel like that's the label um, that I feel like a lot of labels should uh, try to be. Uh, yeah, Cause they really, also, I'll, I'll just interact, interject here. One, one thing that also kind of makes their approach different is that there's a real emphasis on licensing um, yeah. for yeah, the, the explain guy who that. Runs- Talk talk about the licensing. You you mentioned it briefly earlier, but talk about how that's the new the new um, frontier in music. Well, licensing is like a very very difficult situation to get into because again, it's like who you know. Uh, it's okay. like a Stupid really events. it's a really elite like oh. thing. So you kind of have to, and you kind of need somebody to look out for you in that way. Whereas in like music sales, like and shipping and promoting and making merch is like something you kind of can do on your own now. But licensing is still very much like, you know, I know this guy, he's going to help me out. Maybe this thing will get placed, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's really, um, you know, being on that label and knowing that the label is offering licensing right off the bat and they do. Um, is really, really amazing. Um, and I think that's the new way that people are going to be making money now is licensing their stuff out to like Netflix and things like that. Um, cause I know Netflix was like a big thing when that came in and a lot of uh, artists, you know, were making money from getting their uh, stuff placed in like Netflix, uh, you know, produced, um, shows and stuff. Um, but I think explain, can you explain like, what are the protections that you get if your music, if you can get the licensing? It's it, yeah. I mean, it, it's you know, it's it's a legal agreement, just like anything. But yeah. it, it's basically you are giving the rights for this creator who's doing a video game or a film trailer or a television commercial or or you know any of these countless places where um, music is licensed to. Mm-hmm. They they are essentially paying a fee to you to right. uh, to for for use of that. And even licensing has changed a lot from where it used to be. It used to mm-hmm. be. You know, I, I mean, there there were even bands in our scene um, uh, back in the early 2000s and late 90s. Uh, one very anti-commercial band got used on a, on a Cadillac commercial in oh, uh, no. Germany Without their and made, per- 
No, no, they got they they paid the licensing and they made oh, like okay. quarter of a million dollars or something crazy like that. And oh nowadays, uh, it's less. It's more. You get pay, paid a flat fee. Uh, you know, in, in the past, sometimes you got more money if you know every time the movie was on television or something, you would get a residual. But my understanding is that doesn't really happen as much as. It yeah, there's to. no residual. Yeah, yeah, that's tr- from what I've heard from friends from a friend actually who's in that. It, there's not really residuals anymore. It's just that one flat fee. But so I wonder that- if I wonder if part of that is because like before you had the internet or you had a Netflix or a streaming service, the residuals, like it had to play on the television. But now people can just sort of access media whenever they feel like it. So how would you even track that? Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I, I yeah. Mean, the, the, the unfortunate reality is the, the, the curve of the music industry is always towards screwing the artists out of more oh. money. And well, they have- that's, that's just the way the history has been. And, uh, <laughs> That, you know, I think this is a, a, a case there where it's like these film companies were like, well, where, you know, where, where can we save some money? It's like, oh, well, we can save we can save money in how we pay licensing. And hmm. it, it works with everything in the music industry. Like the reason music, musicians get screwed so much is because everybody really desperately wants to have their music out there. They want to be able to play for people and, and, and get their, their records, uh, you know, listened to by people. And the attitude of a lot of things is like, well, if you don't like it, there's five people standing right behind you who will gladly take what we're offering. Oh, uh, yeah, and you know that's <laughs> that's just kind of the way that that it that it that it's been. But like you know, licensing that's one of the the areas right now where uh, there there is money to be made. But as Mary said, it's you really have to be connected, uh, and mm-hmm. it, and even then, it's kind of a moonshot. You know, it's it's. Uh, if you're if you're fortunate enough to have it work out, fantastic. But uh, it's it's real. It's a very high bar to kind of uh, get into that world. Um, another like way that uh, this new labels are 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 monetizing uh, this their mo- their 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 bands and stuff is um, Spotify playlist like uh, influencers. So some people have Spotify playlists which are uh, get tons of listens. So they'll submit the work to these uh these people who make these playlists and um oh. you know they'll get more plays because uh more people listen to the playlist that these people put together um and i thought that was really interesting um it's it, really i had no idea yes. that that there were music influencers, influencers in that way yes wow and another one is which i thought was really good um people who have uh youtube where they play video games um, and then I don't know if you've ever seen those where they're, they have their face and then they have the video sc- screen while they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times those people will, um, they'll market to them. So like if they'll play the, uh, the song, uh, one of the songs that they want to promote. And then, so like I had one of my songs, uh, that I collaborated with somebody on fixed on one of a, uh, I don't remember. It was this guy playing uh, like battle shit. He was like playing something. And then it said in the background, like what music was playing and it was uh, one of the songs that I worked on. And I thought it was really interesting because th- this person had like thousands of subscribers and they would do these live streams on YouTube. So the music was being heard by like thousands of people watch who were tuned in to watch this guy play video games, was listening to uh, a song that I worked on. So I yeah. thought that's really cool. Like that's another way to get people to come and, and, and maybe make a purchase 
uh, or a download, you know, of the song. Uh, and I thought it was really innovative. And I, I love that yeah. uh, this label was thinking about things like this. Like, that's really, I would never even imagine that. <laughs> yeah, so. it, that definitely sounds like they're ahead of the curve on uh, new ways to to market music. That's really interesting. Yeah. Do you think, do you think, well, has the pandemic changed the music industry in any way that you feel like would be permanent? Or has it just been sort of like, we're all on pause and we need to get back to real life? Well, um, I, I, I mean, one way that it's unfortunately very permanent is that a lot of venues have shut down. Uh, you know, it's live venues, uh, you know, that are not, you know, the ones that are owned by big companies where the, you know, the, the, the big pop stars play, uh, usually don't have huge reserves of cash just laying around. So when this happened, it really, uh, it really created a problem because they still have to pay rent on their buildings, but now they have no income. And on top of that, they have a whole staff of people who have likely worked those types of jobs for their entire careers and don't have, uh, you know, obvious marketable uh, skills to just go out and get something else. Uh, and, and so that's one real, um, you know, permanent change is that uh, we have this environment where some people are, are some venues are not going to make it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and my, my worry is that, you know, the venues that are going out of business are, are not your house of blues and stuff like that. It's your mom and pops. And those right. mom and pops are really integral to independent artists being able to build an audience for themselves and, and, and support themselves. So, you know, the, the, the risk is of, of a more homogenous music yeah. scene because it's more, the, the pop stuff is, is going to be fine because those, venues have plenty of cash laying around it. I mean, it's still a struggle for them. Don't get me wrong, but not, it's not a life or death situation like it is for, for some of these smaller venues. So we, I mean, we really yeah. haven't even seen the, the, this effect that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, their bands are starting to schedule shows in the fall because it seems like that is realistically like we, we, things may be, at some degree of normalcy, even if it's a reduced capacity at that time. Yeah. Uh, but the, the problem with that is that when that opens up, every touring band in the country, in the world, is going to want to go on tour because they haven't been able to for over a year. And once again, that's an area where I feel like smaller artists are going to get bitten harder because if I'm a venue owner and it's like, well, let's see, I've got a Saturday show open here and I can you know, put artist A in here who is a well-established artist who will sell out my venue, or I can take a chance on newbie artists over here who maybe bring, you know, a hundred people in if that. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I think smaller bands may have a tougher time in, at least initially um, when things open up because, you know, again, these, these venues are looking to make up for lost time and, and, and all right. the, that loss. So uh, from a business standpoint, of course, it makes sense to book artists who are going to bring you the most money. But uh, that doesn't give a chance for those smaller bands to become one of those bands. Because 
all of those bands who became big bands started out playing to five disinterested people, just like all of us did, you know? <laughs> all I of can't... us did. Some of us a lot longer than others, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't picture you playing to five disinterested people, Tom, but okay, oh, that's it's, fine. It's, it's happened. <laughs> Tom right. had a way easier time of it. We talk about this all the time. I'm like, I had to play the shit the shit menus way longer than you i still do to be honest i mean i, I don't know i still i still struggle you know what i mean for now i'm, I'm gonna be discovered soon i promise That's right. I, I believe wait. it <laughs> <laughs> i know i told you i told you i knew tom for i mean definitely months before i realized that he was like a like super famous guy and i'm just well. a dummy who has no idea well, it's funny because Tom has like a fame to him, but it's not like a all encompassing. It's still a small sure. scene, right? Do you I know mean, what I yeah, mean? Super famous in the in the industrial scene. Well, I think yeah. I didn't realize he was a rock star because he was too nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. He does not have the attitude of of, of like a rocker. Shut I'm up! That's like, ruining my image. Yeah. <laughs> No. Yeah, I love how your your music is is the dark brooding, but you're just kind of lovable. So it's it's wild how that comes well, I said out of it you. Tom, I was like, Tom, we are happy now. What are you going to write about next? <laughs> I'll do a political album. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. So I guess so. What I'm gathering from this conversation is we we really don't know the effects of what's going to happen to the music industry, and we probably won't for a few years. But if you have an artist that you like, fucking go to Bandcamp and buy something. Yeah, like literally, <laughs> like it's maybe a cup of coffee. Like my coffee costs, I get I get like usually a medium ice. It's like about three bucks, right? And mm-hmm. and, and two songs, one song is even less than that. So. You know, what's a dollar these days? You know what I mean? Come on. Yeah. 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 I, feel you. I, I, I think that, it, you know, you were asking for ways that this may have kind of permanently changed things. And and one mm-hmm. way that I'm, I'm hoping that it will have changed things is that, you know, one frustrating attitude that you see a lot is uh, among music fans is like, oh, we're going out on tour. It's like, uh, I saw you guys play last year. I'm just going to wait until next time you come around. Well, now you, you may have to wait even longer. You know, it's it's yeah. been in, in October. It'll have been two years since I've played a, a live show. So it's like I, I'm hoping that people will th- this will build, there will be a revival of interest in live music once things open up and that people will not take that attitude of I'll just see them next time. It's like, well, there might yeah. not be one. You know, uh, you got to you got to go out there and, and support these bands when you can, because uh, you know, nobody we ne- nobody really expected this sort of thing to uh, to, to happen, and it it can and will happen again, I'm sure, in the future. So, uh, I, I'm hoping that people will. I, you know, one thing I will say too is that you know people have been really um, uh, supportive in terms of buying stuff uh, during the, the pandemic uh, and, and supporting bands that they they like because they know that that is crucial to those bands being able to continue doing that uh, and that's that that really is very heartwarming to see because in a lot of ways it feels like music has been been very devalued uh in, in the yeah. present climate so um I, I i'm hoping that it will bring an appreciation for both the fan side and the artist side of um you know the way that things are you know we, like we can complain about playing in crappy venues or whatever, but you know, I would kill to play in a crappy venue right now. Right, I really yeah. would. I miss it. 
I think let's, that let's another... get back to the place. Let's get back to the place where you can bitch about having to load your equipment into a crappy venue and bring it back out. Like, <laughs> I think the merch sales have done so well because I don't know, but I think most people just really look forward to getting their mail these days because Amazon, <laughs> I mean, I'm getting gifts through the mail and stuff because they're like, well, I got to get my dopamine somehow. So I'll just get a new sweater or sweatshirt or I'll get a new t-shirt. Cause you know, you can't like go out and have fun. So I guess like maybe just that, that postman coming. Another thing I have to say is just hats off to the post office, uh, for all the work that those people do. I, I can't even believe like the, I mean, it must've been so difficult when this pandemic came, um, for Amazon drivers and stuff like that. They have, they are like the true, one of the, some of the true heroes of this whole (laughs) event. Don't you think? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I, to- I I agree with you. I I agree. Like there have been times I went through pandemic cycles where I was like feeling feeling a little merry. I'm gonna do something, you know. And I built a greenhouse yeah. and I started growing yeah. things. And there were then there were other times where I was just like, I'm just gonna sit in the corner and drink and shop. <laughs> I'm gonna get drunk and then I'm gonna get all these packages <laughs> next week and it's gonna feel good. I'm getting visitors. They're in boxes, but it's fine. It's new. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, I get you. I get. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Well, I thank you so much and thank you for sitting down thank with me you. again and being gracious about that. And um, yeah, thanks for telling us what it's like to be a, a, a musician who you know isn't propped up by a huge studio to be somebody who's in there doing the grind, making their music and having to promote themselves all at the same time. I appreciate your perspective. And I think everyone else does too. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Zero Shame Stories is a Space Bear Media production. Executive produced by me, Lacey J. Sound engineering and original music by the sexiest husband around, Benjamin Trim. You can reach us at spacebear underscore media on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find more of me at Zero Shame 40s on Facebook and TikTok. The views expressed by our guests are not necessarily that of the show. We're just here to give you a voice. Years ago, you the doctor.